Thank you for joining us for the Sunrise Message of the Week podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Sunrise Christian Center and our sponsors, the Send Network and Seattle Bible College. For more information, check out our website at isunrise.org. Help us get the word out by subscribing, downloading, rating, and commenting on our podcast. The more you interact with our content, the more people will hear it. This week, Pastor John brings us a message from our Kingdom Heart of a Disciple series called Judge Not. Today, I'm going to talk about a sermon. I'll try to make it relevant for our current uh, culture. It's called Judge Not. <laughs> Judge Not. That, this is where Jesus gets to this. Um, that's my title, and those are the words of Jesus as we get into Matthew chapter 7. And because I try to tally up the 90s pop culture references, it was Tupac Shakur that said, only God can judge me. Famously or infamously said, only God can judge me. And it's very interesting. In fact, some uh, Christian leaders observe that this is maybe the most popular verse in the uh, American culture right now, that even people that don't go to church, they know, if they don't know anything about the Bible, they know that it says that we're not supposed to judge others. In fact, somebody was just telling me that a family member was like going to tell them, I'm going to tell you something, but promise not to judge me, <laughs> right? So uh, it's funny how like even, even pre-Christians, see what I did there? Even your pre-Christian friends and family, right? They know you're not supposed to judge them and they like to remind you. So we want to look at what does Jesus mean by judge not? What does he mean? What does he not mean? Um, and this is a very, very important topic for Christians to handle right. And uh, like one of my uh, guys that I've traveled to the world with was here and hearing one of my sermons in this series and he goes, man, you just cut everybody. Like you cut both ways. You cut all sides. He goes, man, I'm like kind of irritated with you, but I needed to hear that. So I can't promise you that I will offend people, but I'm an equal opportunity offender and I'll probably offend everybody a little bit. In fact, it was the great preacher Charles Spurgeon and says, you don't get upset with your preacher every once in a while. You got to find yourself a new church, right? You need to... So anyway, just a little disclaimer. This is the fine print, you know, a little asterisk to the title and the fine print. I cannot guarantee that you'll be happy with everything that I say. Okay, but I'm, try I'm trying to please the Lord and be faithful to the scripture. And that's what we need in this generation. We need something in the church that reflects to the world something that looks like Jesus and not back to the world, what the world sees in itself. And so I'm tried, being tested uh, by these words, and I know that you will be too. So let's pray before I get into trouble, and uh, we'll get into the scriptures. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to bring the word of the Lord today. God, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that in every generation, Lord, no matter what the culture says, your word remains true. Lord God, I pray that we would be formed not by the opinions of the culture, the opinions of others, but we would be formed by the word of Christ. That we would not just be hearers of the word, but we'd be doers of it. And that our hearts would be open to say, Lord, if there's areas in my life that don't reflect Jesus, that don't reflect your highest intention for the Christian life, that you would come and you would bring restoration and you would come and bring healing and you would cr come and bring correction and order into my life that I might reflect Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us about the power of judgment and how we're to operate in this in this culture and in this day and age. And I thank you, God, for our eyes being open to your truth. I pray that you'd be with my dad and Dr. Liss ministering in North Carolina this week. Lord, that your hand would be upon them, that you would just release a prophetic anointing on them to discern where you're at work and to join you and to see great works done in the churches and leaders there and whom they get to minister to and with. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So Matthew 7, Jesus says this, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Wow. 
Judge not. This is the first thing that Jesus teaches here in these seven verses. Judge not. And then he teaches us about a law of reciprocity. He says, this is like gravity. Like, you, you know, like you can, you can make this decision, but it's about to trigger a reaction that you do not have control over. Have you ever heard that before? Like, you can make your choices, but you can't choose the consequences of those choices. This is what Jesus is teaching us about judgment, is that when you judge, there is something that is triggered and released, just like you can step off the top of a building if you want, but you can't stop yourself from falling to the ground, right? So if you judge, he says, what's going to happen? Or don't judge, or you will be judged. That's what's going to happen. You, you can't avoid it. You judge, you're getting judged back. It's coming back, like the boomerang, right? The second thing he says is, with the measure that you use, it's going to be used on you. So whatever standard of judgment you use on other people's situations, whatever it is, that's how you're going to be judged. If you don't like the way people treat you and judge you, maybe you should examine. How about, I'll make it personal so it doesn't sound as offensive, right? If I don't like the way that people are judging me, then maybe I should examine the measure that I'm using on everybody else, right? Maybe I should be looking at the measurement that I'm using. In E. Stanley Jones' book, The Christ of the Mount, as he goes through this, this sermon that we're going through, he says some, some strong words for us. He says, spiritual high temper towards others is usually a sign of spiritual low temperature in ourselves. When religious people begin backsliding, they begin backbiting. And what I'm afraid of is that our judgments tend to say more about us than they do about the people or the things that we're judging. And Jesus here is, of course, talking about the spirit or the attitude of which we, of which we make judgments. And what happens is that we start to live in a culture of so much judgment all the time in the current culture wars and social media and the news cycle that we start giving our hearts to... Uh, living in hatred, living in resentment and anger towards people. And if we cannot build bridges that, with people that see things differently than us, we cannot bring change. We cannot bring transformation. And we're pushing each other. We're pushing each other as a culture and as a nation further and further apart because we make judgments and we write people off completely. Oh, if I make anything, if I make any post on social media, or even if I bring it up in a sermon maybe, which I'm about to do right now, if I make, say anything about the issue of racism in America, it will usually trigger like, oh, pastor, you're getting woke, you're getting into communist ideology, like racism doesn't exist, all your experience, I've had people say, oh, if you talk about racism and the plight of black people in America, you must be under the influence of white guilt, and people won't actually have a conversation Say, what did you mean? What's at the heart behind that? Let's have a dialogue. Let's try to come to some kind of understanding to bring change. But if you see somebody say one thing or, 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 or make one statement, then if you judge them and write them off as your enemy or somebody that's under a lie and you don't actually learn to understand where, where, um, where they're at, then that, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. This is the problem. And I would submit to you um, that... A big part of the, the culture wars over race in America and how it's spilled, unfortunately, into often the right and the left is, is to me, is a, is a sign and a, a, a project, if you will, that if we look at what's happening in the culture war, it's the issue of judgment. It's the issue of judging the other side of your political view or your view on racism. It's judging it, the other side, by the worst possible example and to the worst degree that you can while giving the own, your own side a complete pass because you're not as bad as those guys. And we're, you know, in Black History Month, which I think it's kind of cool to have Black History Month, and then part of me thinks, well, black history is American history, and so it shouldn't be relegated to one month. <laughs> you know, but that we should, God made one race, the human race. There's not a whole bunch of different races, right? He made one race, but it is a time for us to examine our history and to realize that we've not, we don't have a good scorecard race history, the, the, whether you think racism is still systematically uh, imposed or not, hopefully you would at least have the heart to say that the, the pain of racism and of past policies and practices over hundreds of years has not been healed in our nation yet. And that as a church, we want to bring healing. 
And there is so much judgment on issues of like this. If you look at, um, if you ask, for instance, like white evangelicals are being painted right now as like the most crazy people that were taking over the Capitol, right? So if you ask most white evangelicals um, about the Capitol riots, they'll say, well, especially if they voted for Trump or they're part of the MAGA crowd, right? Um, well, the people that broke into the Capitol were either imposters or they were the worst part of our movement. It doesn't represent the whole, right? But then if you go to people that were part of the Black Lives Matters rallies and you say, well, I can't believe what, look at all these riots that were under Black Lives Matter name and they're looting and they're rioting. And you know what you'll say to people that are on that side and probably voted for Biden or are more left-leaning? They'll say, oh, those rioters and looters, they were imposters. They were plants or they were the worst part of our movement, but they don't represent the whole of most of the people that were just trying to protest peacefully. And so on your side, no, that's the extreme. But on the other side, no, that's what they're all really like. You know? But on my side, no, we're little saints and angels. Uh, there's just a few bad actors in the rest. Just to, you know, but so you see what happens is that you start judging the other with a standard that you don't use on yourself. You start judging another party or another platform not based on the same standard that you used on your own party or your own platform. I'm not saying it's wrong to have opinions about politics or that it was, I'm not, I'm not trying to get into that. What I'm trying to say is here is an illustration in real time of a nation, of a church even, of Christians even that get so divided on issues they don't even know how to go to the scripture and have a conversation about the heart of God because everything's like a trigger word right now. Everything just triggers everybody, right? And everybody's so upset they don't know how to actually listen and love and, you know, put down your gavel, Judgy McJudgerson of the universe and actually listen to what somebody's going through. And what somebody's experienced and try to understand where they're coming from. Now, it doesn't mean we agree with, as a Christian, that we agree with every worldview or every ideology. But it means that you try to gain understanding before you implement a decision, right? And we wonder what's happening. Well, I believe what's happening is that we become so hateful and so spiteful that we, we're projecting judgment, hatred, resentment. And guess what? It comes right back, the measure that we use. And pretty soon it just pushes, 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 pushes. And we're so isolated, we erupt in different kinds of civil wars. And thank God that we're not ideologically opposed right now over, you know, physical boundaries in our nation. Or else who knows where we would be right now. But we, we got to pray, church. And we got to represent Christ well. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said so well, returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And so judgment causes us, when it causes us to enter into hatred or spitefulness or just writing people off like we know everything about them, if you will cancel people, I hate cancel culture. Man, we need some stand-up comedians. <laughs> right? Those guys just say whatever they think. That is a breath of fresh air. Hopefully it's, you know, like a little less profanity than some like to use. But I'm just saying, like, we need people that are truth tellers, right? And we need to quit canceling everybody that disagrees with us. We need to learn how to dialogue, how to not be motivated by hate or just judging people or using measures against one another that we wouldn't want used on ourselves. Our culture of judgment, we've taken on tribalism, and we no longer judge ideas with the same measure because we're influenced very often more by hate and resentment than we are by the heart of God. And we need to allow the Lord to search our heart in times like this, that we would be whole and that we would represent Christ well. And as Jesus tells us, he warns us about this. Hey, you be careful about that measure that you use. And I want to submit to you that I believe that even Christians are sometimes in a battle because of the judgments that they've made against other people. And sometimes you're stuck in your life, not so much because of something you're doing wrong other than that you've judged others and you're walking out the same judgment. Jesus is very clear. It's, this is why forgiveness is so important. This is why it's so important to renounce judgments is because it ends up weighing you down. It's, it's very similar to the principle of unforgiveness. Like bitterness and unforgiveness, like I'm going to hold this over that person's head because of the way that they treated me and oh, I hope that the 10,000 pound rock falls on their little car and they die for what they did to me. You know, like that's unforgiveness, right? 
Judgment's very close. Judgment is very, very close to that principle that when I start judging, oh, I know they do this. They always do this. I knew you were going to do Right? It's bad for a marriage. It's bad for a family. It's bad for a church. It's bad for a nation. It's bad, right? It's just like it's bad for your friendships. But when you start getting into judgments, you start getting so stressed out. And it's because of the measure that you're using. And it's not to say that things that they're doing, but when you step into the place of you know their motives, you know why they did it, you know all about them, you know what they deserve, then you're putting yourself in the place of God. And we don't have the authority to do that. We do not have the authority to do that. And so I'm encouraging you today to break agreement with your judgments, to renounce out loud and renounce your, not right now at this second, but pretty soon. All right, we'll get to that. But to renounce your judgments, to get rid of them. They're weighing you down. They're causing you pain. I believe that even as people renounce judgments, people could be physically healed today of things that have affected their health even because of things they've held in their heart that have affected their body. And then Jesus goes on and he says this, it's like very much like hyperbole or some kind of, even like a joke maybe. He's like, hey, in the next, let's talk about the wood eye. Like the guy that's got this big wood plank in his eye. And he says, first of all, don't attempt to take the speck out of your brother's eye while ignoring the plank in your own. And then secondly, he says, hypocrite, do not take the plank out of your own eye. And then, or do take the plank out of your own eye, I'm sorry, and then remove the speck. From your brother's eye. Right? He's, he's saying, what's a hypocrite? They're an actor. There's somebody that, that was a, a stage, a stage word, like a, a theater word that you put a mask on and you pretended to be something else. He's saying, don't pretend like you've got it all together fixing somebody else's problem. Well, you're dealing with something worse or the very same thing, and you're not taking it seriously, right? So on this whole issue of judgment, he talks about really you gotta judge, we gotta judge ourselves first. Scripture says judgment starts in the house of God. And Jesus is teaching us judgment starts in my own heart, right? Is that I need to make a judgment and an assessment of my life. Am I trying to put everybody else in order while my life is out of order? You want to hear a joke? Say yes. Okay. Just like Peter Wagner always told us, say yes. A man was involved in a terrible car accident because of the accident. He lost one of his eyes. The doctor explained to him that he would get a fake eye to replace the real one. So the man agrees and chooses the least expensive, a wooden eye. Some months pass and the man's friends come over to visit him. They are worried because he has not been out of the house for months. They tell him that there is a party at another friend's house that night. The man finally agrees to go. When they get there, people are dancing and having a good time. The man finds a seat in the corner and remains there. The friends find the man and tell him he needs to get up and dance. Then from across the room, a woman appears. She is looking at the man sitting in the corner. The man's friend points her out. So he walks over to her and asks her to dance. So he gets closer and he realizes she has a hair lip. He thinks to himself, what a pair we would make. My wooden eye and her hair lip. The man walked up to the woman and asked if she would like to dance. And her reply is, would I, would I? And he says, hair lip, hair lip. So we are so quick to point out other people's problems, aren't we? We're so quick to point out other people's flaws and sins, aren't we? So E. Stanley Jones tells a story in The Christ of the Mount. It says, an Indian student came to a friend of mine and told him of a new society they had formed, the Society of the Confession of Sins. My friend was interested in such a novel society and suggested that it must be very difficult to confess their sins to each other in this way. Oh, no, replied the youth. It is not difficult, for we do not confess our own sins, but the other people's sins. The society for the confession of other people's sins has a very large and I fear growing membership throughout the world. But no Christian can belong to it. This continual sitting in judgment of other people is an abandonment of the love attitude, hence unchristian. Besides, how do we know all the motives back of the actions and lives of others? <laughs> Man, sign me up. <laughs> Confession of other people's sins. Like, I got a laundry list for you. All right? We'll talk, talk about everybody, right? We know we're experts very often in everybody else's sin and where everybody else in the family is doing it wrong. 
I don't know. I heard about a family once. I, it probably wasn't mine, but I heard about a family once. Right? It's like, my sister, they always do this. They always say that. They never do that. They always blame me. I'm sick of, right? And just like as a parent, sometimes you're like, could somebody just for a moment take personal responsibility over their life? Like that would just bless my heart so much if I just personally took responsibility. I heard that. Somebody took personal responsibility for their own sins. This is exactly what Jesus is teaching us, right? Is to not to be Lord of the universe and in charge of everybody else's sins, but is to take our own sins the most seriously. Tony Campolo, who's a liberal theologian, and I don't tend to agree with him very much, uh, he did say one thing that I thought was really thought-provoking and powerful, though, where a lot of Christians have used this phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. He said, what the Bible really teaches is love the sinner and hate your own sin. John Tyson in a creative minority said, one of the challenges for every Christian is that of misinformation. We know everything about that which we can do little about and we know little about everything we can do everything about. Rather than aiming to influence people far and wide, perhaps we should turn our attention to the seemingly mundane around us where we can actually have an impact. What are the implications of this? Is that the way we change the world is to change ourselves first. I heard a leading psychologist talk about this very passage, actually. He said, if you don't try your ideas on yourself first, how do you know if you're trying to change the world, if you're actually going to make the world the worst place if it doesn't even work on you? And we live in a world that wants to impose change on everybody else all the time but are we considering how we change the world ourselves? I'm not saying that people shouldn't be involved in leadership or that we shouldn't care about the laws or the direction of our land. But what I'm saying is, is that if we think all the change happens from the top down, I think we're missing out on the true way that Jesus taught us to change the world. And that's that he came to change our hearts. That the, the reign of God, the kingdom of God manifesting among men was to change people's hearts, first of all, to be reconciled to God through Christ. And to be redeemed. And then it was to make disciples. And as we make disciples, we spread this faith everywhere we go. It wasn't the heroes. Like I'm reading church history right now by a man named Justo Gonzalez, a church historian. And in the, the first few centuries of the church, it wasn't primarily the apostles and the early church fathers and the scholars that spread the faith. Because there's all these historical examples where people come to a new city and a new region and they just find a church there. They find Christians there and they have no record. They have no, it's very hard to know the, about the first few centuries of the spread of Christianity because there's so few records. But what that tells us is that it wasn't the scholars and the writers and the heroes of the faith who were primarily primarily spreading the faith. We read like Acts and we, we look at what the apostles do and that's amazing. They're the leaders. They're why we have the Bible and why we continue, right? Thank God for leadership. But it was the everyday people. It was the slaves and the merchants and it was the fishermen and the bakers. Come on. It was the everyday people. It was the housewives that were letting people into their home to, to serve them and to tell them about Jesus. It was everyday believers changing the world by changing their sphere of influence. So I'm not saying it's wrong to want to change the world, but I'm saying if we don't change our own world first, we got it out of order. And if we don't know if it really works on us, how do we know it works somewhere else? Right? And so we got to be more concerned about our own sin. Right? If we want to change the world, change yourself. If you want to change America, change yourself. If you want to change your city, change yourself. Transformation starts from the individual, starts from the inside out. Starts from my family. I just heard uh, my friend at a, a podcast. He may or may not get meet this year. He may, he may or may not be traveling to be with us for revival night. But um, he was interviewing a man that was involved in uh, the high-level conservative political leader. Uh, and years ago, and the man platform was on family values before family values was a part of the conservative platform, even. And he, was so, he so believed that he was going to change the world. And they were going to change the family values. And then shortly as this big push was happening, this man left his wife. And it devastated this young Christian who was an up-and-coming star. He, had, uh, he, had help, he helped in the Reagan administration. It's not Reagan who I'm talking about. But he was so devastated because his hero and champion of family values wasn't living out the family values in his own home. 
And we live in a world, in a culture that is so tired of hearing the right things from a platform, but not seeing the things lived out. And sadly, we're seeing that with church leaders. And you know my story. I don't got stones to throw at anybody. Because by the grace of God, I stand here delivered from pornography, from hypocrisy, from a double life as a young Christian, that Jesus rescued me. So I, I, I know very well, but we're very impressed by outward things. Jesus is impressed by the small things, by the way we treat our wife, by the way we treat our husband, by the way we raise our kids. And I believe that we need to be involved in education. We need to have Christians involved in government. I believe all of these things, but I believe that the work of the church Primarily, the, the world is transformed through the church, preaching the gospel, making disciples, not just individual disciples, but marriages, families, Christians living out their faith. Whether it's under great freedoms, under a president that honors freedoms, whether it's our freedoms being grabbed from us, or even living in a, commun a communist nation like China or other oppressive regimes throughout world history, the church will advance on no matter what. That because we will not be prevailed upon by the gates of hell. And so as we retain our Christian distinctives and witness, no matter what's going on in the culture, we can change the world. But we can't change the world if we don't let the gospel change us. If we don't let Jesus have his will and his work in us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, who wrote the Gulag Archipelago about his time in Soviet concentration camps, prison camps there, um, he wrote... The line separating good and evil passes not through the states nor between classes, not, nor between the political parties either, but right through every human heart. We have got to realize that transformation has to start from the inside out. That our heart, that each one of us has a way to make a difference in the world. And you can never underestimate the way your life can affect the sphere of influence around you. You being a good neighbor, you putting your house in order spiritually, physically, you putting your finances in order, you raising your kids in the ways of the Lord. If our kids and grandkids, come on, stayed in the faith and stayed on fire for Jesus, and I mean, come on, if we just saw, if we just re, if we were just to reach one person that was apart from the faith a year, your church doubles in a year, just one person. Right, But we always think that the change is going to come out there and I'm going to do this. And, I, and, and again, there's nothing wrong. I'm going to tell you in just a moment. I think you should contact your legislators about something that's happening in the world right now. But what I'm saying is let's live it first. Let's live it first. Jesus does not say, he does not say it's wrong to try to change others or change the world. It's okay to take the speck out of somebody else's eye as long as the logs out of the planks out of yours. It's about the priorities, right? And we need God. It's not about self-actualization. We need God to help us. But think about it. If you, want, if you need change in your life, do you want somebody coming to you that just lectures you about this, the problem? You have the speck in your eye, and it's just it's ruining your vision. It's destroying your life, and da-da-da-da-da. And you're like, well, I see you are an expert on my problems, but it's very obviously that you don't work on your own problems because you got a plank in your eye. I don't want uh, I'm not going to buy what you haven't bought. <laughs> like you're selling something that you don't even use in your own home. So why do I want it for mine? Versus somebody coming to you and you see them working on their issues and removing the plank and going, taking the pains and the time to deal with things. And then they come to you and say, hey, I've been noticing there's an area in your life that maybe you could grow and I'm here to help you. I love you. And you're like, this person wants what's best for me. This person's living it out themselves. This is helpful. Maybe a little painful for a moment to get that splinter out of the eye. But boy, it's sure nice to have somebody that comes in a spirit of humility that wants to help me. And that's what the key is here, right? It's about the spirit of humility. Or I skipped a line. But before I deal with sin in them, I need to deal with sin in me, right? Before I deal with sin in them, I need to deal with sin in me. And then the next thing is that the key is humility. The key is, am I allowing God to work in and through my heart on the issues of my life before I'm trying to work on everybody else's? And this is very, very important. We live in a, we, we're living in the middle of a, a bill. And some people didn't know. And I had people say, are you going to say something to the church? I was like, yeah, I'll say something to the church. Um, but we, there was a bill that was passed called the Equality Act in the House of Representatives this week. And they're now going to vote in the Senate. And so I encourage you, call your senators and, and tell them as Christians, write them and say, we're not in favor of this bill as Christians. And the bill is basically... Uh, freedoms, they're calling it the Equality Act to give certain freedoms and rights to the LGBTQ community 
um, to extend their rights in different areas. But uh, what I believe from my study of the bill, and you can go look up the details about it yourself um, and be a good student of what's happening, um, is that it limits the rights of religious and institutions like the church, like certain hospitals or schools that are faith-based, that are Christian-based, um, that have a standard of like a marriage that is between a man and a woman or God's, you know, the traditional historical view of the, the Bible's view on human sexuality. It would limit the freedoms um, and could potentially limit uh, more freedoms for the church. And as Christians, I think that we should love our enemies and we should, we should want dignity and freedoms for every human being, whether they agree with us or not. So that shouldn't be in question for the Christian that we're like, we're trying to take away the freedoms of people that are gay, lesbian, and bisexual, or transgender. No, but we would like to see a better bill that protects religious freedoms, spiritual freedoms, as well as allows people, I mean, every human being, no matter what their sexual preferences or identity is, should be able to eat, have a job, uh, get, you know, health care. Like, take, they should be able to live uh, uh, their life, right? And we're not trying to take that away as Christians, but we are trying to say, we believe that, like, Parents should have a voice in things. We don't want kids, and I don't know if this bill addresses this. There's other things being discussed in government right now, and sometimes I get them kind of mixed up, so don't at me on this, all right? But, um, but sometimes, like, there, you know, there's things being debated about, like, should a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old be able to pick their body parts, you know, or start going on puberty-blocking hormones? And I think that, you know, regardless, when you raise your children in the ways of the Lord, right, then that's the first thing that we need to do as believers. But we do believe that what happens in our society is important. And so we want to let our voice be heard. And there's nothing wrong with letting our voice be heard. But what Jesus is trying to say is it would be hypocritical for us to raise our voice against the world, right, and contact our legislators while also then promoting things in our own home or our own lifestyle secretly in different secret ways that actually undermine what we're saying publicly, right? So get, our life should be in order, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. So some people will say, well, you shouldn't judge the world, so you should let them do whatever you want. No, call your legislator, write an email, tell them this isn't right. We don't approve of this. We want to see a different bill. We want to see something else drafted up that protects, us, protects religious freedoms, protects the rights of parents um, over their own children. Wherever we reach, overreach into a family, we're breaking the, the values of the word of God. Now, I'm not going to compromise no matter what. I'm going to stand up for what I believe whatever the government does. But I don't, I don't think it'd be good for our society, so that's why I'm telling you, right? But, you know, Grace and I, we've had the talk. Like, I, if, if, if I teach on the biblical historical view of human sexuality and I go to jail for it, then, like, she's going to bake me a big cake and, you know, stick the file in there and that whole, no, not really. But she'll write me, call me, and we're not going to compromise what we believe as a church or what we teach as a church. And... We always want to make sure that we do it in a spirit of love, not in a spirit of like, we're right and we're trying to force you to become this. No, we do it in a spirit of love. But when you really love people, you stand for the truth, even when they don't agree, even when they accuse you of hatred and anger and vitriol towards you. You just you say, no, we love you. We, I, I love you. I appreciate your sharing your opinion and your voice. And I want to be a good neighbor as Christ calls me to be. But ultimately, like, this is what I believe the Bible teaches and what I believe is the best for human flourishing. And so, therefore, this is what we will stand on, is the word of God. So it's not wrong to do that. It's not wrong to, to take a stand on an issue and to use your voice to influence others, right? But it would be wrong for me to secretly be giving in to a lifestyle that is opposed to what I'm opposing outwardly. Or it would be wrong for me as a Christian to be, like, cheating on my wife or looking at pornography while also telling the world how corrupt and evil they are in their view of sexuality, right? And so we want to be a people that if we're really going to see transformation, it's got to start from the inside out. It's quiet. It's so quiet. But the key image, again, is humility. How am I living the, my faith out in a way that is hopefully showing an example to the world around me. And then Jesus says something very interesting and scholars kind of debate like why is this even in this part because it doesn't even seem like it fits. Like it doesn't fit with the first five verses and it doesn't fit with verse seven coming up. This little peculiar verse six. Why does Jesus go and say that, you know, don't give the dogs what is sacred and don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Well, when it comes to this, what Jesus is actually saying is, after saying, do not judge, deal with the wood in your eye, 
Now he's telling us to make a judgment. He's saying, Judd, you need to make a judgment call. You need to make a judgment call about the pearls or the precious things in your life and whether they belong to your audience or not. Because if you throw something valuable to the wrong audience that's pigs and dogs, they're going to come trample you and tear you to pieces. And so people are like, what is Jesus saying? Is he saying judge or not judge? Or what's he doing? He's, well, he's really, he's making a balanced statement and he's trying to get us to think holistically about things. And Derek Prince in his book on judgment, his teaching on judgment is very clear that uh, judgment is uh, about authority or about rulership. And in our American concept, we think of judges as like a separate branch of government. We got the federal, the legislative, the judicial branch. But in the Bible, the ruler is not separate from the judge. The ruler has the authority to make a judgment, right? And so your issue of judgment is authority. Do you have authority? We all have authority to judge issues or to judge values or to judge ideas, right? We all do. Like uh, a teaching comes out, a philosophy, a form of government, uh, a philosophy, a teaching, an idea on morality. We all can judge issues or things and say, do I want to participate in that? Am I called to participate in that as a Christian? Is that good for me or my family or my society or, or for humanity? We can all judge issues. But when it comes to judging people and assigning value, motive, punishment to what people deserve or why they're doing what they're doing, we don't have authority in those areas to make judgments. We all have authority over what happens in our own homes, right? We all have authority over our children, biblically, right? And our families. If you're a business owner, you have authority over your business. Then you have to make judgments based upon your authority, right? To, for the health of the people that you're leading or that you have authority over, people that you're serving, hopefully, as a leader. You have authority in those cases. And so Jesus tells us there is a time to judge, though. And the Bible talks about how, of course, God is the ultimate judge. He's given judgment to his word. His word is going judges us, right? And there's times where the Bible says, don't judge um, you know, turn the other cheek and you get that sense. But then there's other times where it says judgment starts in the house of God. Judge righteous judgment. Um, d discern, uh, you know, who you spend your time with. Don't avoid the appearance of evil. That has to do with making a judgment. There's a situation that looks like it could look like I'm participating in evil. I need to make a judgment call. Should I be there or not? So sometimes the whole teaching on judgment gets misconstrued because people think that we're just supposed to be these like passive little Christians that let people do whatever they want to us all the time and kind of run over us like doormats. Um, and sometimes people will find out you're a Christian and they'll be like, ha, I can use and abuse this person. I mean, come on, there's even, even her types of men are like, I'm going to find myself a good Christian woman. She's got to submit. And you've got to be careful about the person that you give your life to and the way people treat you as a Christian because there's a wrong idea that we need to correct when it comes to the issue of judgment. And so uh, Jesus says, don't give to dogs what is sacred or they come tear you to pieces. Don't throw your pearls to pigs or they come and trample them under their feet. Now, a dog or a pig is a phrase that was reserved for Gentiles, right? The unclean. But Jesus is not necessarily trying to emphasize that all of us non-ethnic Jews are unclean, dirty people. What he was trying to say was, if you actually gave a pearl or something that was sacred or a treasure to a pig or a dog, what would they treat that pearl like? Like it's a treasure? No, they, would, they, would, they don't know what to treat it like. So don't give something of value to people that have no clue or no concept of how to treat it. But he's telling them, you got to make a judgment. you got to judge. Is my audience, do they value what I'm about, what I'm giving them? Or are they just going to trample it and take it and use it and abuse it? And so you've got him, you do. He's making this balanced statement. Like, yes, our heart is not to judge people in a condemning, vengeful way, right? But it is to make judgments about not everybody's ready for our messenger, for the things that are the secret, special treasures of our heart. We have to be guarded about the way we handle the valuable things in our life. You have to make a judgment to not share what is sacred or pearls in this case. This, again, is most likely a balanced statement. This could do with gospel sharing. Sometimes you share the gospel. We want to preach the gospel to every creature. But if you persist in sharing the gospel to people that are just mocking you and ridiculing you, talking about how dumb Christians are, rubbing in your face, and they're getting angry, and they're escalating, and, and, and you are just going to keep, like, it doesn't mean you're supposed to sit there and subject yourself to abuse. They're, they're not treating your message, the pearls, 
of the kingdom. They're not ready for it at that time. That doesn't mean you never share with them, but you might prayerfully pick your moments, right? And, and, and the other thing could be personal things from your heart that God has done that are a part of your story. Some people think that to be, you're supposed to be honest and truthful as a Christian, so I just got to tell everybody everything. People walk around, social media, hello, I cannot believe what people divulge on social media sometimes. Don't throw your pearls out there. I mean, I've, I've shared like some things on different issues. I remember doing a video on abortion and I don't, I don't regret doing the video, but I regret getting into a conversation with somebody that was trolling me and really was getting under my skin. And I thought, well, maybe I can touch this guy's heart and show him a Christ-like response that he's not used to. But no, I should have just deleted the thread altogether. All of his little comments and said, you're just trampling on my pearls. This is a waste of my time and a raising of my blood pressure for no reason. I didn't help him. He certainly didn't help me. Right? But he's not, he's not ready for that dialogue. It was a waste of my time. You need to have boundaries. You need to have boundaries. You need to realize that not everybody is ready for the, the things of your heart. Not everybody can take, not everybody is going to take an honor and value who you are and what you are in God and what he's done in your life. And it's sad to me to see Christians put up with abuse sometimes, sometimes from a good, a good motive. Well, I can't judge anybody. I can't say no. I need to, you know, don't, you don't offend anybody. And people get advice. Christians get advice from people that are just giving bad advice. Again, they don't treat our faith or our message as pearls. Like people get marriage advice from people that got the, like, why are you getting advice from your girlfriend at work that's always trashing her husband and it's like her third husband and she's just like bitter and hates men and you're gonna get your advice. She doesn't take your, she doesn't see the purge of your marrows, the, the, the pearls of your marriage. <laughs> she doesn't, you know, you gotta, you gotta your, your buddies at work that are just always talking about the ball and chain and you're gonna open up your heart and get marriage advice from that, those dudes that, are always talking about hitting up the strip club or going other places after other women? What? No. Don't open up your life, your pearls, your treasures. You've got to make judgments that some values and things that are precious to you, you keep it only with people that will respect the value of what you're talking about, that will treasure it. And I'm afraid that Christians have put up with too much sometimes. And people find out, oh, you're a Christian. I'm going to sue you for everything you're worth because you're supposed to turn the other cheek. We already talked about this in the earlier message on the Sermon on the Mount. Turning the other cheek is about small offenses. It's not about letting somebody take your business, take your family away, destroy everything you've ever had and go, well, we just can't retaliate. We can't go to the authorities. No, that's cowering. That is not turning the other cheek. What Jesus was saying was walk in the opposite spirit. As much as it depends on you, don't escalate things to the next level when there's small offenses involved. So what he's trying to say is, yes, let's not have a judgmental attitude. Let's use a measure that we want other people to use on us. Like, hey, if people want to judge me, but they learned my point of view and they understand where I'm coming from, and like, then that's, hey, I'm a, I want people to treat me like that. I want people to ask me questions. I want to learn from other people and I want them to learn from me and I want to be able to have dialogue and I ultimately want God's truth and all of that, right? But I like it when people try to get to know where I'm coming from and it's very hard in one sermon to cover every angle of every single issue that you're talking about, right? So people would just jump to a judgment and like, oh, I'm done with you. You're one of those pastors now or whatever. And I'm like, what are they talking about? Right? I want, it's like, let's talk. Let's ask a question. Let's exchange something that is fruitful, right? There's nothing wrong uh, with then making judgments based on the right information or the right knowledge about an issue or a value as it lines up with the word of God or not. And so we want to make those type of judgments, but we want to deal with our own sin more than we deal with the sin of others. But that does not mean, that does not mean that we don't make judgments about our audience or where we expose the things of our art or we don't forget that Jesus has value on our lives. And if you don't protect your pearls, you don't protect what's sacred in your life, what do you have to give to anybody else that's of value? There are times, of course, there's a difference between persecution that 
can be very difficult and trying, but will even release a joy and a favor in a believer's life because they're standing for righteousness. This is different. This is you putting yourself in unnecessary situations of abuse under the false premise of like, well, I can't make judgment. I can't, you know, I just got to kind of go through life and just uh, let people do whatever they want. And like, God, why are you letting this happen? Someone's like, you got to tell somebody no. You, you might have to get a no contact order. You might need to call the elders of the church or somebody to help you because you can't just put yourself in a place where people are trampling on you and taking advantage of you, right? You, 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 you have value. And this is what Jesus is saying in the middle of all of this. He's saying, don't judge, but this is not about your life being miserable. Well, I guess I can't judge anything. No, it's you're, you have value on your life. You have a story. You have the gospel. You have a deposit of God in your life that is valuable and is worth protecting. And Jesus doesn't want you to surrender this. Your value, your pearls, your message, your life, your story to people who will dishonor it. He's after your good. He's after my good. And if you would break up and divorce these judgments in your life, it would be for your good. And if you would deal with your own sin more than everybody else's under the sun, it would be good for you. And it also is very important and good for you to make a judgment about who gets to get near the sacred things of your heart and your life. Who gets to be near the pearls of your life. I'm here to tell somebody today that Jesus wants to set you free today of judgments. He wants to set you free and heal you of the pain of maybe past seasons where you didn't protect the treasure. You didn't protect the pearls and people trampled on them or they used you and abused you, but that was not the heart of God. God is a protector. God is a deliverer. He is a savior. He's not an inflictor of harm. He's not teaching us these things to make us miserable. He wants, he wants you to know that you're valuable to him. And he loves you. In fact, you're so valuable to him that God sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you. Come on, somebody. The Bible prophesied that there was a Savior that would come, and his name is Jesus. And he came 2,000 years ago. According to these prophecies, he came, and he died on the cross, and he was buried, and he was raised three days later, just as these prophecies also predicted. And then he was seen by hundreds of witnesses before he ascended into glory. And the Bible says that one day Jesus is coming back in glory. And this time he will come back to judge the living and the dead. And how we deal with judgment in this life matters completely for the next life. If we walk in judgment and bitterness and we don't deal with our sin, we will stand before God and give an account one day. We are called to live holy lives, lives based on the love of Christ. And ultimately, we will be judged for whether we receive Jesus or not. Because Jesus came to take our judgments upon himself so that we could be forgiven of our sin and we could be free and we could have a relationship with God that starts now and lasts forever and ever. And I'd like you to stand on your feet with me as we close in prayer today. Jesus. If you're here today and your life is not right with God and you need Jesus, you, you, you're making a judgment call today that your life is not right and that you need a Savior, that you need a Lord, that you're not confident that your sin has been forgiven. See, Jesus wants you to have confidence that you've passed out of God's judgment and that you've come from death to life, that you've come from sin to salvation. And this is, this is what Jesus offers you today, that if you're here today and you say yes to Jesus and you give him your sin, he'll cleanse you of your sin and the power of God's judgment is broken off your life in this life and in the future judgment to come. And you'll have eternal life that lasts forever and ever. And if you want to make that decision for the first time, or you've ran in rebellion from God and you want to come back home, I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I want Jesus. I want his forgiveness. I want judgment broken off my life. Is there anybody here that you've made that decision for the first time or you're coming back home? I know there's one that somebody's just making that, he wants that rededication. Is there anybody else? You'd say, I, I need Jesus. If you're watching online, it's so simple. You just say, Jesus, thank you for taking my judgment. Thank you for taking my sin. I believe you died for me and rose again. I give you my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. I want to know you. Thank you for giving yourself for me. That's what Jesus will do. And I'd like our prayer team to come forward today, our pastors, elders. I believe there's people today that are going to experience a release. If you'd come to the altar and in faith, you would break agreement with judgments that you've made against other people. And maybe you need prayer because there was times where you didn't protect what was valuable or sacred. You didn't protect those pearls of your life, but you released them to people that hurt you or wounded you. And you've been hurting. 
you've suffered maybe a different kinds of abuse or just people being judgmental and mean and not respecting who you are and it's brought wounds in your life, I believe as you would get some prayer today and release forgiveness to people and allow the Lord just to heal you and encourage you and touch you today, that you would experience healing in your heart, healing in your soul. I believe there's even some people that God wants to heal physically as they release these judgments or these emotional burdens or traumas of other people not respecting you at different times in your life and forgiving people. I believe there's even some physical healing. Maybe you've been holding tension in your body through all of this. And as you release and you walk in alignment with the word of the Lord, the Lord's going to heal you as a result of you walking in obedience to his word. So I'm just going to ask you as I pray right now just to step forward if you need prayer. You need prayer to break judgments. You realize you've just been so angry or upset with different people and you've been judging them. Hey, we're family here. We're not here to shame anybody, but you, you want to break off that stuff. Or maybe, again, you've got areas where you're just... You're hurting because other people didn't respect you and hurt you and you need healing. You need forgiveness. You realize you have value and you want to see that value. You want to see those boundaries restored in your life. You want the Lord to strengthen you in that area. We want to pray for you today and the Lord is going to heal you. So just come right now. Lord, as people come, I pray your blessing. Lord, we break up. We divorce the spirit of judgment that assigns condemnation and guilt to people when we don't know who they are and what they've gone through, Lord God. We renounce cancel culture, Lord God, and being afraid to love others, Lord God, and be a light to others, Lord God. May it not be so among us. May we be, may we be full of love and full of truth. And may we not water down the truth, Lord, in the name of wanting to love the world, Lord God. But may we not back down in love either when we stand for the truth, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that is not judgmental in a critical spirit, but we would judge righteous judgment, Lord. That we would, we would be a people that love others well while we stand for our convictions. Lord, I pray that also those that have been hurt and, and wounded, Lord, that you would heal the pain and you would restore the areas where we didn't protect what was valuable, Lord God. And we let other people bring damage or trample on what you have called valuable and sacred in our lives. And Lord, I pray your blessing over your people today. I pray that we would prosper. I pray that we would carry a spirit of joy in a world of heaviness. I pray we would carry hope where there is hopelessness, Lord God. And I pray that the world would see that we as Christians, we work on our own sin and we let you change us, Lord, before we try to change everybody else. But Lord, as you change us, let us not hide our light, but let us shine our light and influence the world around us, that your kingdom would be demonstrated in us and through us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen? Amen. Come for prayer today. The Lord bless you. You're dismissed. You can thank the Lord. That's fine. But you're dismissed to come for prayer, to go get your kids and have a great day today. God bless you, and we will see you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Sunrise Message of the Week. Hope you enjoyed. Please subscribe and like and share this with your friends and your family. Have a great day.